You're listening to Consolidate That. Welcome back to Consolidate That, Ivan. I'm excited for today. Why don't you introduce our guest? Hi, Ryan. I'm very excited to introduce a friend of mine, Andrew Schultz Jr. He's currently a Director of Business Development and Clinical Services for Midmark Animal Health and Project Director for Midmark Academy. Midmark Academy delivers in-clinic dentistry and anesthesia training to more than 500 vet hospitals each year, and its race-approved courses amount to more than 100 hours of CE. He currently services on the board of directors for the Foundation for Veterinary Dentistry as a representative of industry and as consultant to the board of North American Veterinary Anesthesia Society. He started his work at Midmark as a director of monitoring and critical care following his 2008 acquisition of Sharn Veterinary, maker of the Cardell's Vital Signs Monitor, one of the most popular ones in the industry. He was president and CEO of Sharn Veterinary, which was recognized nationally as one of Inc. Magazine's 500 fastest growing privately held companies and was a finalist to the Small Business of the Year. He holds a master's degree in business administration with an emphasis in marketing and entrepreneurship and began his career as a CPA with Arthur Anderson & Co. He lives in Tampa, Florida with his wife of 20 years, Irma, three children, Sophia, Drew, and Nicholas, and two dogs, Nola and Atlas. He enjoys cooking, boating, vacationing in Hilton Head, and is a Boy Scout leader. Wow. Andrew, good to see you again. Welcome to the show. Oh, well, my pleasure. Good to be back. Been busy. <laughs> yeah, sounds like. <laughs> so I have a lot of questions. So we had this conversation that kind of prompted towards this episode, and I was very excited because what we're going to talk about today is applying dentistry as the part of strategy for consolidators and not just dentistry as a service, but basically having that as a growth lever that could be applied to the hospitals or even the synergy that could be assessed prior to acquisition and then implemented as a growth lever strategy post-acquisition. So I would love to dive in. Why don't we start with talking about how did you start the Dental Academy? All of this, it seems like it's all well put together right now. What prompted you to investigate further? Where did you find the opportunities in the hospitals? Where this the whole idea came from? Well, thanks for asking, uh, Ivan. I think the starts back with, you know, Midmark is an equipment and medical device manufacturing company. And before joining Midmark, of course, you mentioned in the bio that I ran Charn Veterinary and we had one of the world's top vital signs monitors, the Cardell. And what we learned very quickly was we could put out the best equipment in the industry, but if people don't know how to use it, that's a problem. And we would get calls all the time about the vital signs monitor, for instance, why the alarms are going off, how do I shut off the alarms? We still get those calls today. But it became very clear that there was an education gap, you know, opportunity around things like anesthesia. And then when Midmark acquired us, very soon after they acquired a company called Progeny, which made digital dental x-ray. And the same thing happened as we were selling those into the veterinary space. Uh, we get the question, who's going to train us? Who's going to teach us how to use the equipment? And we thought, well, the person that comes to install it, we'll show you how the buttons work and the software. And they're like, no, 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 no. How do you get a full mouth x-ray in a cat versus a Great Dane versus a Chihuahua? You know, we realize that's a clinical question, and it's born of the fact that dental education is a missing link in the veterinary schools and certainly the technician schools. It's been around a while, but up until recently, until the AVMA last fall mandated dental education in the core curriculum for schools, it's just something that most people learned on the job. 
And so as we're selling that equipment, we discovered early on that there was an opportunity to provide postgraduate education around dentistry. And it started with the clinical skills, but it got us thinking as we began working with more and more clinics that were operating dentistry, doing dentistry in, in their hospital. And we'd ask those questions like, well, what's your dental program look like? And we started partnering with some of the um, leading dental board of veterinary dentists. And one in particular, Dr. Cindy Charlier, had this idea that dentistry is one of the biggest opportunities for patient care and practice growth in the veterinary profession. There's been studies that show that over 80% of dogs and cats over the age of three have some sort of periodontal disease or oral disease. Hmm. And yet, when we ask the question, how much dentistry are you doing in your hospital? We discover that more often than not, they're just scratching the surface with the disease that's walking in and out of their doors. And so the first step was we had created a network of dental expert trainers that could go into clinics and teach radiograph positioning. This was the clinical skill that went along with the dental radiograph equipment that we were selling. So we contracted with now by now 35 veterinary technician specialists, so VTSs, the AVTA puts out different specialties, just like the veterinary profession does. There's a dental specialty, so they're very skilled and educated around dentistry. And so we contract with them. When somebody buys one of our devices, they will show up and teach the entire staff how to take diagnostic digital dental x-rays, a half-day course. And that's when we got into you know being a race provider of CE. But Dr. Charlier, with her hypothesis about the idea around the opportunity in dentistry, we collaborated on a study. And so we decided we would have this secret study we called the Project Milkbone. And the idea was <laughs> if we could recruit four or five well-managed practices, you know, practices that were solid practices, you know, practicing good medicine. I think four out of five were AHA accredited hospitals. Let's baseline and benchmark their dentistry. And then we had an idea of what levers we could pull to help them increase their dentistry. Because if we look at the market, we did the benchmarks, whether it's the AHA productivity pulse points or the Witchet and Tumblin's uh, 100 well-managed practices, or you talk to a group like BMG that tracks this. Even today, the average veterinary hospital is pulling about 3 or 4% at best of their overall revenue from dentistry. That low? It's just 3%? Yeah, 3%. And so when you ask the number, we interviewed these five hospitals and the practice managers and the owners, and we said, you know, how much dentistry? Oh, we're doing great with dentistry. We're booked six weeks out, what have you. And, and then we'd ask, what did it look like last year? What percentage of dentistry did you do? And they'd say, well, I don't know. Lots. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, you know, one of them literally said, I don't know, we just turn our books over to our accountant and they do our taxes. That's it. We have no idea. And then we'd ask them, well, can you pull some reports out of practice management software and let us know how many procedures you did and what the revenue was and so forth. And I mean, it took weeks for them to do that. They weren't already tracking it. They didn't really understand how to get at that information or practice management software. You know, especially when you consider if you want to get a good picture of what dentistry is worth, you got to take all the charges that come with dentistry. So you can't just look up dental profi revenue because that's just going to give you that one sliver and not the anesthesia that goes along with it and all the other things that they itemize and charge for. You hit on a good point of sort of the lack of education in the initial kickoff. So right where veterinarians in school and vet techs in school aren't learning as much about the dentistry. And then I think you said, is it 3% was the revenue that you were seeing within the clinics? Is there any other reason besides education that you would find that would be an inhibiting factor for the growth of that? I mean, obviously people 
veterinarians and techs are going to do things that they feel comfortable with. But is there any other inhibiting factor to keep that from growing more? Absolutely. In fact, when we did the study, what came out of the study, so when we applied the kind of the recipe we thought in this study, and that was, you know, first of all, we needed to get everybody together and give them a baselining dentistry 101. And not just the veterinarians, but the technicians, the front office staff, you know, the client care people, everybody, the whole team, you know, who talks to the clients more than the people up in the front, right? And so we applied the training. We had Dr. Schuller come in and train those hospitals for three days. We made sure that they were properly equipped, in particular with dental x-ray. And then we began, after baselining and benchmarking their dentistry, tracking their dentistry through that year. And that first year, in those 12 months with those five practices, they more than doubled the amount of revenue as a percentage of their overall revenue. They nearly tripled the productivity, dental revenue per doctor, and they grew the number of patients they treated by more than 50%. And that was just in their first 12 months, and they were just getting started. But what we learned from that, we ended up putting together a lecture at the Veterinary Dental Forum called The Five Keys to Success. And the first one was that the owner of the practice and really everybody needs to understand and buy into the importance of dentistry. I mean, oral disease, periodontal disease is systemic. I mean, the head is connected to the rest of the body, right? And it's associated with certainly pain and suffering. But unfortunately, if you're not trained in how to identify that disease, you're not going to treat it, right? And so when a dog comes in limping, you know, you got to send them to the orthopedic. If they're getting sick, you send them to the internist. But they hide their pain as a pack mentality instinct or whatever. And so they may be chasing their balls and fetching and acting like they're normal. And you would never know that they have an abscess tooth or a fracture or, you know, something else going on in their mouth until it gets really bad. And that's when they're doing the dentistry because the client is complaining that their pet's mouth stinks or they're not eating. Now it's gotten so bad that they're not eating properly or their behavior changes. But a lot of times that comes along in like stage three and four. The other factors were, and so then it was the training and education of the entire staff, not just the clinical staff, not just sending a doctor or a technician to a weekend wet lab at a veterinary conference. It was, you know, how do you train everybody and get everybody on the same page, speaking the same language, agreeing on the same standards of care and approach, and then creating tools for client education. The number one reason why pet owners do not get their pet's teeth cleaned is because it's not recommended to them in the first place. That was a survey that was done by NABC Clinicians Brief about a decade ago, and it's probably still true today. Now, if it is recommended, the next reason is because they're fear of anesthesia. But when you ask the staff, why do you think that people aren't taking your recommendation, they might list fear of anesthesia, but they also list cost. You know, they'll say, oh, it, it costs too much, or they have this fear that their clients won't pay for the dentistry. But that's actually not the case. So if they're educated and trained, not only in dentistry, but even anesthesia, that's going to help them provide more confident recommendations about dentistry earlier so that it's preventative and not treating disease that's progressed and systemic. Such a common problem in veterinary medicine, not recommending because we think that the client is not willing to pay. It's always, always we assume that. And even in the vet school, I remember they were teaching us, don't try to assess the client whether they'll pay it or not. Do the best recommendation. But I wanted to ask you to repeat the stats. You said that every pet at what age has a dental disease that is, or at least preventative, that is worth doing. Right. Those stats. So 80% of cats and dogs over the age of three. Wow. some sort of periodontal disease. That was a stat put up by the AVMA a while ago, but it was corroborated by Banfield and several of their 
state of the pet industry or state of the pet health reports that they put out annually. You know, they're tracking millions of pets that come in and out of their doors and they, on a perennial basis, list oral disease is one of the highest things that they see when they're treating their pets. You're reminding me that I need to get my older dog's teeth cleaned. When was the last time you cleaned your dog's teeth, Ryan? Well, you know, it's a good question. I do give him some uh, greenies and I give him some dentist sticks, but he is overdue because the last time I brought him in, nobody recommended blame the vets. Well, actually, (laughs) I brought him in. It was on my wellness plan because I'm a wellness plan advocate. And he aspirated from the anesthesia. And so they woke him up and didn't clean or anything like that. And then I had to reschedule and then I get busy. And But the thing is, no one's called me to reschedule, right? There's the opportunity there. I'm more than happy to do it. I never say no. If my veterinarian is listening, you know that I never say no for any cost associated with my dogs. So just call me. I will book it. I will spend that money. Yeah. (laughs) I think that was like number four on the list of top 10 reasons why, and it was no follow-up. Yeah, of course. It's a common problem. Andrew, I want to sort of, because this is a fascinating topic, and that's why I was so excited to invite you, because the way I look at this is not only that this is the right thing to do for the pets, but it's an absolute revenue driver for the clinics. And then because we are so focused on consolidation, at least on this podcast, I just want to put it in perspective and the steps to get there. I think I just want to be very sort of, you know, step by step what Midmark right now is doing, because you described it and you kind of went there, but I want to kind of go from there because you start with analyzing the data and understanding what is that dental. So what I captured, let me try to repeat, and then you maybe correct me. So you guys come in and you actually assess the hospital, what is the percentage of their dentals done right now, right? And you guys come in, and then you also understand the training and the available training and qualifications of the staff for a diagnosing, describing, and identifying dental disease, and also you train them in how to articulate this as a regular sort of maintenance and the preventative measure. Then if there's an opportunity, you can help them to assess their workplace for additional dental suite equipment and stuff like that. Can you open up a little bit on that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What you're describing is a process that has evolved over a number of years. But when we came out of that study, It turned out that one of the study hospitals happened to be owned by one of the top veterinary companies at the time that had about 180 locations, and they performed the best out of all five. In fact, they had dropped, I think, $100,000 to the bottom line. They had grown their dentistry over 10% of their revenue. In one hospital. In one hospital, yeah. And, you know, of course, you get an organization like that with multiples and everything else as far as the value goes, or like, how fast can you train all... 200 of our hospitals, right? And at the time it wasn't, we had one one trainer and it took three days and all that. But as we got into that process, and by now we've trained more than 200 other hospitals, they have 800 now, but um, we've made that happen over time. But that evolution started with, first of all, we need to take a benchmarking survey. We put together an online survey that came out of what we did in a study, asking questions about the quality of their dental suite. For instance, the accreditation tick marks on the AHA accreditation quality dental suite survey. And then, you know, what equipment they have, what do they do for client education and marketing? And then we got down to the performance, you know, how much dentistry have they done in the last year and the revenues and the number of patients and what have you. And then their fees, everybody's all concerned about how they stack up. And so we take the AHA fee reference guide survey 
and have them complete the questionnaire about what they're charging for a routine dental procedure. And so when they complete that benchmarking assessment online, they get a turnkey report that gives them examples of how they can improve their dentistry in all those different areas. It also shows them how they stack up with practices that are like them and also the ones that we did in our study. And so they could see very simply, you know, wow, what I'm charging for anesthesia falls in line with practices that are my size, or maybe I'm out of whack, I'm overcharging, undercharging, and then what does the total dental charge look like? So that's where we start. And then we use that information. And this happens when one of these hospitals has been identified as a practice we're going to go and train. And so now that training encompasses some online learning ahead of time to get everybody level set. And then it's a two-day event. And in a two-day event, it includes the first day is what we call the best practices training. That's the secret sauce where we get the entire practice together and level set them on dentistry, why it's important, how it's done. We're talking everybody, including the receptionists and the client care people. And then there's role-playing involved about how do you communicate a recommendation to a client. And we get them interacting. And this is led by some of the top boarded dentists in the industry. So we have now three or four boarded vet dentists that do these trainings. They're partnered with a veterinary technician specialist in dentistry. So it's like the dynamic duo right there, all, all in one. And then after that, at the end of that first day, of course, they've been keeping track of ideas that are generated from that, you know, about how we can improve our particular practice. Some of that is generated automatically through that benchmarking survey. But then as the whole team is engaged, they're getting those ideas done, you know, and putting them on the list. And they have a brainstorming session. They get it all on paper and they've already set a implementation team. So that would be key people. It doesn't have to be the practice owner or the managing veterinarian or what have you, but people that are passionate about dentistry in different departments, the technicians, the receptionists, whatever. There's a handful of them to get together to take this list and prioritize it and begin working through that, how they're going to implement those different ideas. And they begin meeting on a regular basis after that. Day two is the clinical part. So that's where we get the veterinarians together with the boarded veterinary dentists, talk about pain management, regional nerve blocks, oral surgery, treatment of disease. And then they get into a hands-on lab with specimens where they're able to practice the oral surgery techniques. And the technicians, they get to work with this veterinary technician specialist in dentistry on radiograph acquisition and then cleaning, probing, and charting. So really, that's their role in this process, and they're going to learn the skills and practice them in that day-long lab. And so when they're done with that training exercise, they're ready to hit the street running with this new dental program that they have. So that's what we've been doing. But to back up to your original question, we found that it's important that they have all those pieces of equipment in place. As an expert in the manufacturing of a broad base of those, you know, I mean, we could basically put in an entire dental suite. We know what is needed and what's not. When we first started, we would show up and then discover that their equipment wasn't in order. And then that delayed when they could take advantage of the training they just did, or they were missing equipment that they needed to be trained on. And so at this point, with some of our veterinary company partners, we will go in and do a either an in-person or now in COVID, a virtual kind of walkthrough of their dental suite. And we make those recommendations to the regional or corporate representatives about that suite, what they need. We ran into issues where that was originally communicated to the local staff who was like, oh, we're going to get all this equipment. Well, yeah, you do need a monitor and that does end tidal CO2 monitoring, and you probably need better lighting or ergonomic seating or whatever. But, you know, it became a case where they had expectations that didn't match what the capital expenditure budget was or whatever. 
and honestly, the most important pieces of equipment for the dental training and all that are just the dental x-ray and the dental machine. And then after that, the monitoring and anesthesia equipment. So we provide that insight ahead of time so they're prepared. So these trainings are scheduled a couple months out so that, you know, there's time to do that walkthrough, get the equipment that they need ordered and installed and what have you. And then they're ready to hit the ground running when they go. So, Andrew, this is fascinating. Just from the business perspective and thinking about, you know, any sort of product well executed, you know, one thing is to build a tool. Another one is to create the training, the assessment of the client, the academy around it, participate in the, you know, association. Just the whole execution of this is just phenomenal how you did it around this particular aspect of Midmark. And I think that one thing that I wanted to touch on is, well, one is after all of this equipment, let's say the clinic needed all of it. What was the average sort of break even on the equipment if the clinic really implemented all of these practices, had the space, and you put it in? Let's say, obviously, Midmark makes money on selling that equipment, but everything you executed around it, what is the return on investment, and when do you break even on the equipment that you put in? Good question. And we actually set up a calculator for that. There's a little app that we have online, and you can get to it either dentalcalculator.com or untreatedpatients.com. And that's just kind of a back of the envelope return on investment calculator that asks a few simple questions. One, how many patients do you treat a day, you know, that you see for wellness exams? How many dental procedures are you doing per week? We find those two questions are a lot easier than the, how many did you do in the entire year last year? Or, you know, how many pets do you treat a year or whatever? It's like, okay, let's do that. In the background, the calculation will be made to annualize those two numbers. Right. And then if you remember the 70%, 80% of cats and dogs over the age of three, we're looking at about half of the patients that are walking in and out of the door likely have some level of periodontal disease that needs to be treated. And so when you take those numbers compared to what they're doing in dentistry, you can see what that untreated patient number is. And when you think of the average cost of a dental procedure or price that the hospitals are charging is between four and $500, depending on the region, you know, it'll calculate what that, when they see that opportunity, normally it just jumps off the page as like, that's completely unrealistic. Cause it's like, over a million dollars in a lot of cases, right? So we asked the follow-up question is, what are you willing to invest in your dental program to achieve those goals? And more importantly, what goal do you want to set for improvement? You know, do you want to just treat 10% more or 15% more or 20% more? When we say 10% more, that's kind of associated with how we did it in the study where they doubled their dentistry. So if you're thinking you're only averaging, we're treating about 10% of those that are diseased, you know, so like you have 3,000 patients, about half of them, 1,500 have disease. Maybe I did 150 dental procedures last year. I'm treating about 10%. So if you just wanted to treat 10% more, what does that look like? Well, that becomes a little more realistic. That's maybe two hundred or $300,000 worth of opportunity. I was just going to say, I, I pulled that up while you were speaking here. And, mm-hmm. and one of the cool points, I think, for the consolidation world is that bottom bullet point that you have on there is, if you were selling your practice a year from now and you treated just X percentage more patients, your selling price would be this much higher. That's awesome. I love that. And Ivan, if you want to look at that and just, I'll take 10% of that number as, as a pay raise. <laughs> Those numbers are pretty great. And I threw in just some really average, super low numbers for a veterinary clinic, a one or two doctor practice. And you see major, major financial impact on not a huge financial investment just to get started. And if you think on this thesis of the consolidation, like when you said 100 grand to drop through to the bottom line, that's literally 2 million. If you're exiting at 20, those averages have been in the last couple acquisitions. And if you have 200 hospitals, that's $400 million. So, I mean, the opportunity is massive. 
I hate to say this, guys, but we're running out of almost 30 minutes, which we usually promise 20. But Andrew, this is a very interesting <laughs> topic. What I want to conclude with a couple of things. Definitely, uh, we already mentioned the calculator. We'll mention all of these uh, links that you want to mention in the notes. But also, one thing that we kind of, when we were talking earlier that we discussed is that there probably will be an interesting thing to brainstorm about how to assess clinics prior to acquisition, how to make that as a synergy and a growth lever post-acquisition. So if you want to just add a little bit to that, like is there a survey that you can take or use this calculator prior to that? And then we'll conclude with that and we'll leave the notes how to find you and your wonderful program. Yeah, I think the calculator would be a good place to start. You know, it's just kind of, like I said, a back of the envelope kind of calculation. It might be worthwhile looking, uh, having them take the entire benchmarking survey, just so we get an idea of that. I mean, you and I talked about the opportunity. What has happened with the clients we've worked in is they've gotten to some certain size and they begin looking at opportunities and that's where dentistry pops up. Right. But this is, you know, years after they started the process. Why not start with that, right? Why not have right. that up front? Yeah. Well, and just like that last calculator says, that last point is, well, if you're thinking of selling your business, well, if you're thinking of buying it, you know, flip it on. Like, Same thing. If you're yeah, thinking exactly. of buying that business, what is this worth? Especially with the arbitrage going on the difference between what you're paying and what it's worth when it's yeah. in your portfolio. If you can, you know, first of all, make that assessment about what equipment they need up front, right? Have that in place. So they can plan the CapEx. And have the training program built into kind of that acquisition, then, you know, I know that there's a lot that transpires after acquisition and far as integration, all that kind of stuff. But to dovetail with something that you had talked about, you know, in other places about goal setting and purpose yep. and all that, exactly. boy, what a better place to rally the troops than to give them this new set of goals, these new aspirations around dentistry when it hits, it's better patient care, it's fulfilling for the team, they're learning new skills, you're investing in them. And at the same time, you're getting this huge return on investment. There's just so much opportunity there. And to do it earlier than later, I think it makes sense if you got that planning involved. So Andrew, one of our final questions, a fan favorite, we hear about it all the time, <laughs> is a book recommendation. What's a book, something that you're reading or something that you've read that you think our listeners would find value in? Well, I thought about this and Checklist Manifesto. Love that guy. By Atul Gurunde. Actually, he was supposed to speak at the AVMA conference. This really? Or I don't know if he's still going to be on the virtual speaker list. Oh, I would love to hear him. He's he an amazing author. And yeah, that book was so inspiring to me for smart flow functionality and many, many things. That's so awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we just built a checklist into our new vital science monitor we launched. Part of that, and we can cover that on a different podcast, maybe about the idea of anesthesia training and how that fits into the whole equation around dentistry. But to go back to one of the original points you were making about the opportunities these consolidators have, is that how do you make those practices compete with the omni-channel, right? Because the omni-channel includes, I mean, the traditional sources of income are being taken up by Chewy and yeah. That's yep. smart. There's a lot of, a lot of challenges. Places. And then what a better way to use your staff because lots of these procedures could be done by technicians. So you scale your paraprofessionals to actually and raise their opportunity to actually learn something new. I'll have to put the brakes on this. Andrew, I think that we'll need to have you back for anesthesia talk as well. This was fascinating. I really appreciate your time and finding the time for us. Thank you for participating. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you again for joining us on Consolidate That. If you want to hear more from Dr. Ivan Zak and an amazing panel, please join us on May 18th 
for a great webinar discussing why veterinarians are unhappy. If you want to learn more information, you can go to our website at vetintegrations.com. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at vetintegrations.com.